it's time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Guys, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> was I supposed to say something? <laughs> no, I was supposed to say something. You know, it's um, it, it, I'm a little off. It's uh, we typically do this on the weekend. It's Thursday night, so I'm just uh, a little bit out of rhythm. But uh, JT, how are you? I'm very good, GB. I'm uh, living the dream. I think we have to remind everybody that <laughs> the name of the podcast is Two Men in a Doc. Should we, <laughs> should we remind everybody in case people aren't sure? Should we not be talking to each other? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. I just want to say that I think we should remind everybody that this is called Two Men and a Doc. That's right, because our last podcast, there was there was actually three, three men, men and, and a Doc. doc. That's so, true. We had uh, our first uh, compadre, third compadre. That's right. Show, well, so. well, well, how's the Doc doing? I'm doing well. I've had It's been a busy week, as you know, the, uh, starting even from the last ep- not even starting, but I had to kind of bolt out of here after our last episode to rush over to the hospital that's right you you were on you were on call i was on call and i had a 15 year old kid it's very unusual for you to get a call about somebody that young with kidney stone but in this case when somebody has a stone and i think we've talked about this before but you have to remember that when the when you form a stone in your kidney you don't feel it when it's there most of the time it's not blocking anything it's inside this kind of it's when it breaks off. It's, it's when it. It's when it. Yeah, it kind of breaks loose and then it drops down this tube, the ureter, um, and then of course you get into that pain situation. This kid, I think, was less. It was less painful, interestingly, but it was infected. So all the I'm urine. I'm sorry. Which was infected? The urine was infected. The urine was infected. The urine that was trapped in the kidney because the stone basically causes like a plug. In the ureter. That's so interesting. The sto- so the urine can't get out. And in his case, the urine was infected. So he comes to the hospital. He's got a fever of 104. Mm. They put him on. He's not. He's got nausea and vomiting, which is common when you're trying to pass a stone. You get into nausea and vomiting. And he, he wasn't vaping. As far as I know, he was not vaping. You never know these he's, days. He started. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> um, and... Um, and then they put him on IV antibiotics, really strong IV antibiotics, and twelve hours later, still having that high fever of like 103, 104. And when that happens, you don't realize when you're having a fever, it's super stressful on your body physiologically. So Fifteen years old. Yeah. Just a normal kid. You know, he was a little obese. I mean, not not really really obese but he was a big kid i mean i think he was probably i want to say um 220 pounds and 510 he was a big kid and um hispanic kid and uh not that that means anything but you know i'm just giving you that you know when we say i'm a, I'm a bit shorter than him and i'm at least 30 to 40 pounds lighter. Yeah, yeah, no, he's obese. He's obese. He's obese. Um, by the way, I just want to say something for the listeners. You know, when I, as a physician, mention someone's ethnicity, it's we're trained to do that. You part know, of the workup. I absolutely would. part of their 
medical history is to mention their ethnicity because ethnicity often plays a role in diagnosis and 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 you know so you gotta somebody's african-american you know and we we're going to talk about prostate cancer in a second that has major significance to risk factors and stuff right. like that anyway um the problem is when you have a high fever you don't realize your heart rate is pumping up really high you know i mean literally his heart rate was like in the 140s which is not unusual when you have a really high fever you're in this hypermetabolic state um, your heart's pumping. What else is happening is with that high temperature, you're losing water like crazy. You're evaporating off water in huge amounts. So you're dehydrating. So your organs aren't getting perfused with enough blood. And so your organs start to take a hit and you know, your blood pressure can drop. What happens when your blood pressure drops that the definition, that is the definition of shock when your blood pressure drops. So well, every it, year we lose people to the flu, right? I mean, isn't this that's along those lines, same, right? Same lines, same yeah. lines. So in this situation, you know, you're, you can give this guy, you know, 10 antibiotics till the cow comes, cows come home. You're never gonna really get anything to resolve until you get that infected fluid out of the kidney. So, so how was the mom and the dad or the mom or the dad in terms of, Oh my goodness, my son's here. He's going into really a state of shock. They don't know that. They don't know that. And to be honest with you, he wasn't quite that unstable when I left after the last show. I left quickly because I didn't want him to become unstable. Pediatric patients are always tricky because when they crash, they crash really fast, meaning it's not like you get this window of like, oh, look, their blood pressure is dropping. It's not a long runway. It's no. just it's a sudden thing. It's just boom. They're, they're in yeah. the, they're, you're in trouble with them. Yeah. Um, well, I'm and glad, I, I'm and glad you left that. quickly because I know how you drive is <laughs> super quickly. And, and, and we should note that before we started recording, the timeline was right for them. You didn't just sit here and lollygag. Well, no, you know, no. It, it was, I didn't no. want people to think like we did this instead of you doing that. <laughs> I don't think people would think that, but no, yeah. we did not. Well, he had to finish his martini before. That's he right. Left. That's right. It's like back in the days of uh, Mad Men, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but but but, but actually, I've, I, I've have spoken to Michael about this. Uh, the doc in the past is that he has received some phone calls when he's been on call, but when he wasn't on call, yeah. but he did receive a phone call and he was asked to come in and he said, listen, I'm not comfortable because I've had once. a drink. Yeah, that came up once. That came up here. But in any event, um, so the, in, in this case, for people who are wondering, the, the immediate thing you would do in that situation is you put something called a stent inside. I don't know if we've talked about that. Not really. You think about heart stents, people hear about those. These are a little different. It's basically a very fine, think of it as like the inner lining of a Bic pen, you know, that little cartridge, but these are really soft and floppy and you can actually push them up the ureter from the bladder. So you have to put someone under it. Are these are aluminum or plastic? They're like, it's, it's like a latex material. Right. So a mat, it's like a, yeah, it's like a latex like material. Um, very floppy and soft. And um, um, you have them under anesthesia, so he's completely out. You have to put a scope into the penis and into the bladder. Obviously, a 15-year-old would wait, not wait, wait, like I, that. I, I have a question. Isn't it dangerous if somebody's going into shock, they've got infected urine, yeah. and you put them under full anesthesia? Yeah, 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 you have to. 
because it would be too dangerous to try to do this on him awake. Not to, not to, of course he'd be screaming and it would be ethically awful, mm. but he would be kicking him and moving and, he, and you would, the instrument would like tear out of his so, uh, bladder or who knows what. So, so in the emergency room, are there anesthesiologists that are always there or is it an anesthesiologist no, this, who's on call? They're on call. And in this guy's case, he was brought to the floor. He was brought into a patient room. And then, you know, these assessments were taking place over several hours. Like, can this, this was a Sunday when we were together, you know, this was last Sunday. So, you know, they're assessing him and saying, can this guy wait until tomorrow to be stented or do we have to do this today? And, you know, they're calling me and I said, well, what's his situation? What's his blood pressure? How are his vital signs? What's his temperature? I had looked at him earlier and he didn't look toxic. There's you know, appearance that people give you when you can see that they're really going downhill. He looked alert. He looked okay. But, you know, knowing that these fevers were not going away, I was not willing to wait um, until the next day. Now, and I just so, have to ask, at this point, who has diagnosed it as a kidney stone? Because everything you're presenting... The emergency room physician, when the kid comes okay. in and he's got this high fever and he says, my back hurts, and then he does a urinalysis, they check a urine in the oh. ER, and they're like, oh, look at all this blood in his urine. That'll there must be it. some stone or something going on. They got get it. a CAT scan, and there you have it. Okay. So you take him to the operating room, you put the scope in the bladder, and you slide through the scope. It's got a little port that you can slide that stent up into the ureter. It goes around the stone and then goes into the kidney. So now you got one end of that little tube in the center part of the kidney. The other end of it is in the bladder now, and all that infected urine can now get mm, out. Release it. And it's pretty instantaneous in terms of like I resolving bet. the problem. As a 15-year-old, a stone like that. Well, it's unusual. It's really unusual to see young people get stones. So but, I mean, we, we know it's not that shocking that he happened to be obese. I think... Um, you know, diet at that age plays a huge role. I think, um, you know, big soda drinkers at that age, all that sodium intake. And, and, and so predisposed. is this something that he's probably going to have to deal with, you know, the rest of his life? He may be predisposed to this? If or he this doesn't something? get his weight con issue under control, I would say, you know, not. it's not that all people who are obese uh, when they're young have this problem, but some are going to be more predisposed than others. Contributing got factors. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. So we were going to get into something about prostate cancer. I think this month is a, isn't it prostate cancer Yeah, we awareness? are wrapping up September, which is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, which, um, you know, I think just is an opportunity for the media and, and hospitals and other people to start getting the message out. So we were talking about it. And are we uh, getting exams tonight? <laughs> Would you like one? It comes free with uh, the service. Uh, oh, free. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> free prostate exams right. for two men. <laughs> we'll have to get the microphones down low so you can hear like any side of uh, sound effects. <laughs> Moving on. So uh, in preparation for, uh, for us tackling this topic, I looked up the early warning signs of prostate cancer. And spoiler alert, um, I thought we were going to go through them and sort of talk about it. And I showed them quickly to the doc. And he said... Um, I don't, this is all kind of, uh, Michigas. It's, uh, as they would say, it's, it's crap, which I thought was very interesting. So what I'm going to do instead, I will quickly read the list and then we can talk about, you know, yeah. why this and why and this list is kind of bogus. Bogus is the better Let's word. And, and I must say, wait, what's your news source? I right looked, here? well, I was, that's what I was about to say. I looked up multiple places and they all had similar, I mean, so, many, many overlapping factors. Yep. So 
Uh, this particular one is cancercenter.com, but I saw it on WebMD. In other words, it. the list you're about to read, you've seen this many times, yeah, right? Yeah, it really doesn't matter where awesome. you go. So, Let's do it. So this well, one, that's the beauty of the web. One person... But it's right. also the ugliness of it. The misinformation. He's about right. to, yeah, he's no, about to No, but that's say, the point. You know, somebody publishes something, and then a bunch of other outlets, you know, jump on. bomb on, and then the next thing you know, it's a well, snowball. Next it wasn't... It's fake news. It wasn't BuzzFeed, <laughs> you, know, the, you know, my favorite prostate cancer warning signs, but it was... Uh, there was a fairly legitimate, you know, medical websites. So mm-hmm. like, like yeah, WebMD web is legit. Yeah. So, all right, here they are quickly. So burning or pain during urination, difficulty urinating or trouble starting or an, and stopping urinating, frequent urges to urinate at night, loss of bladder control, decreased flow or velocity of your urine stream, blood in the urine, uh, blood in the semen, difficulty getting an erection or painful ejaculation. Um, and I will say, before I toss it to you, like many of these things... You have? Right away. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is just... I hope a, not. That's a bad Tuesday night for me. Um, the Right, because it's Thursday. Right. That, you know, on their own, many of these things could happen for lots of other reasons, um, including an enlarged prostate. But uh, together, I was thinking, oh, okay, so if I had multiple versions of these things, they are, in fact, early warning signs of prostate cancer, as the headline said. But... You had a very different reaction to this list. It's it's I couldn't I couldn't disagree more. Right. I mean, just un, first of all, to use the word early warning signs is outrageous. First of all, let me just that, that's first of all. Second of all, um, I will tell you that any of those th- unfortunately any of those symptoms that happen in the setting of prostate cancer means that it's probably quite advanced and very late in mm. the course of prostate cancer. Third of all, in my career. And we're going back. I mean, I started doing this stuff as Three, a resident four years ago in 1996. <laughs> so what is that? 23 uh, years now. Um, am I doing my math right? Yeah. 1996, 23 years. Um, I can honestly say that maybe that's pretty good for a Brady scholar. Yeah, may, <laughs> maybe like two or three of those things that I've seen ever as first of all, as presenting symptoms of prostate cancer. It's just, it's crazy. How now, now, what's the story? What am I talking about? First of all, one of the reasons why prostate cancer is so deadly is because there really are no early warning signs of prostate cancer. Right. There really are no warning signs of prostate cancer, certainly early warning signs. And if you're talking about what symptoms exist for prostate cancer when it's when it's see when prostate cancer forms in your prostate you don't know it's there and if there's no blood tests or any other test like a rectal exam or anything to give you a hint that there's something going on in your prostate you usually don't know anything is going on in your prostate until after it has spread so let me until just... after it has spread so wherever it has spread to is going to start giving you symptoms. And those are often your first symptoms if you don't have any kind of early detection system in place, which means either a blood test or a rectal exam. The PSA test? PSA. And so so often... Is it it a a prostate that has started to have cancer is not necessarily enlarged? Is that correct? Correct. In fact, enlargement 
does has not, no, no bearing on your risk of prostate cancer. I, I get cancer. that, but most of these bullet points to me seem to align with an enlarged prostate. Correct. That's absolutely right. Everything you read pretty much in that in, in what you just read off there, those are almost all signs of prostate enlargement, yeah. which has nothing to do with the risk of prostate cancer. A painful ejaculation is that, a that's sign really, of a large prostate? No, no, that one is not a sign can, of enlargement. So, so can you explain... Painful what, ejaculation, what, I mean, I probably... Can you explain what that pain would be? No, no, because I can, I mean, I can speculate, but what you really want to ask me is, how often have I had a patient come in to see me in 23, is that what I just said? In 23 years, saying, whenever I ejaculate, it's really painful. The answer to your that question that I just <laughs> rhetorically asked is maybe five or six times in my career. It's just really rare that somebody comes into my office saying it's painful when I ejaculate. It's just not a common thing. Now, as far as what it could be, sure, it could be some kind of urethritis, um, like a gonococcal urethritis, like they have an STD. It could be um, a prostatitis. Gonococcal like urethritis. Yep. That's like oh, gon wow. gon gonorrhea, gonorrhea. It could be like a prostatitis, uh, in, like an infection, but painful ejaculation is no. That is not a sign of prostate cancer. It, no, I'm sorry, but no. I mean, if it is, it's like one for the you know the uh, journal article saying like this is some really obscurely unusual case that presented with painful ejaculation. Okay, but like, but so but on this happen. point, if somebody does have a painful ejaculation, not just once, but it's a recurrence. Uh, I would what, first. The what first should thing they would, do, and is it a sign of anything? I, sure, I would. I would say, come on in, and we should do like a semen culture and see if there's any infection in the semen. Okay, it could be an infection. It could be. Um, I remember we talked about this on the show once. There was that guy yeah. who had that big cyst that I discovered right. in his prostate. Young yeah. guy. Yeah, he, the other he, two doctors. He had didn't some. Get it, no. I wouldn't say it was pain, but he said he had a little discomfort right. and this kind of gelatinous blood that came out when he ejaculated. That was not cancer. That was just a big congenital cyst. Well, I would assume that many of the things on this list, you would suggest someone come in. Absolutely. It's just they Absolutely. shouldn't be. You know, if someone but they has, are not early warning signs right, of prostate exactly. cancer. I mean, decrease in and velocity and, and, or frequently right. urging at and night. And unfortunately, there is this kind of misperception out there, misconception out there that. When, you know, guys that start getting up a lot at night or their stream is getting slower and they suddenly get anxious thinking, oh, my God, maybe I have prostate cancer. But the fact of the matter is, no, that's a sign of prostate enlargement, not prostate cancer. And unfortunately, the bad news about prostate cancer is because the, you know, it's it's so insidious. It, it develops in such a kind of, you know, under the radar fashion that the earliest sign is often after it starts to spread. It typically spreads to bones. So the sometimes for people who never go see doctors, their first sign of prostate cancer is like terrible back pain. And then you get a x-ray and MRI and they're like, Oh, there's a tumor in your spine. So what, let's what, check your PSA at, and you find out your PSA is a thousand. And then the doctor's like, okay, this is, so at what age cancer. should, should guys be requesting the prostate exam? For sure. They should be requesting by 50. By 50. There are exceptions. And the exceptions are if you have a family history of prostate cancer, your father, your brother, those are known as first degree relatives, you really should start checking, like, you know, certainly by 45. And checking would be PSA, PSA and PSA. digital? Or? And digital rectal exam, but PSA is critical. I mean, digital rectal exam is helpful, 
but not as critical as checking the PSA. Do you have any idea um, for a GP out there who's doing an annual physical, what is their standard to run a PSA? Because when I get a blood test, I'm not exactly requesting right. something like You're a right. song They're, on the radio. Unfortunately, I mean, a lot of this, and I think I've talked about this before, but several years ago, maybe, gosh, it's already probably getting close to eight years or something, there was this um, something called the United States Prostate Task Force. Did I ever talk to you about this? And it was a government-sponsored... Sounds like a horrible Marvel it, yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. It was this... Yeah, right. It's like the... The, 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 uh, the Prostate Task Force. Yeah, exactly. It's on the case. Got, they got capes. Right. Um, Did this receive uh, bipartisan support, this task force? <laughs> I think it must have, um, given the kinds of politics we have today. Anyway, um, the what they did was they wanted to determine if PSA screening was really saving lives. The problem with this task force, number one, is the people who were on the task force were pediatricians and family practice doctors. There were no urologists. There were no oncologists. I mean, it was really crazy. That's, the, that's our government. A pediatrician. Yeah, I mean, pediatrician. I swear to how God. How many PSA tests are they running? No, it was really ridiculous. It was highly criticized and yet adopted by um, CMS, which is the Medicare, Centers for Medicare Services or something like that, and a lot of other organizations. It, it, just, it was a big political thing. Um, a lot of people feel like the insurance industry really pushed this out there because what the task force came out and said How was... How can that be? Yeah. The task force came out and said, PSA does not save lives. PSA measurements do not save lives. And the problem with the study, aside from the fact of what facts of what I just said, is that it was all based on data from like the 1980s and early 90s. And so it's all really like old data. It's not really hmm. current and relevant and modern. And so... It has totally done um, irreparable damage because what ended up happening after that is that several huge, um, you know, medical organizations like the American Academy of Family Physicians and the American Medical Association and a bunch of different groups came out and said, "Okay, stop doing PSA." So a lot of primary care doctors don't get PSA now. They don't get PSA and they don't do rectal exams. They've just stopped screening for prostate cancer. And several insurance companies stopped paying for PSA. And well, then it well, things, that'll do yeah, it every and, time. And then, and then things kind of, the pendulum swung back or it is swinging back because they're seeing a huge rise in metastatic prostate cancer now. A lot more people with, as I just described, whose first symptom is tumors in their spine and they never got PSAs. So you must recommend uh, supplements for prostate health. Yeah, not not. There hasn't been a tremendous amount of data is, to is, support is, that. Is that also um, what Jay says, uh, Meshugash? It's, <laughs> it's not what I said. <laughs> no, but you said that list. Meshugash. Meshugash. You said that. That that list yes. was, it was a bunch right. of Michigas. It was yeah. your, pron it's, it's your it's pronunciation uh, that I took oh, offense. Oh, my pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the the supplements are really Meshugas. Michigas. What did I say before? I don't know. I don't know. But the 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 supplements are really kind of. I get bogus. nervous when I pronounce Yiddish words, words around J. <laughs> oh yeah, because <laughs> you know he's going to be. Like, I use them so frequently. And he's going to be watching carefully. Well, listening that's carefully. He's so critical of my pronunciation. <laughs> right. So my, my advice to everybody is to get your PSA 
And yes, your insurance will pay for it. So I guess you have to, you might have to ask but for it. But you may have to ask for but it. But no okay. supplements. I don't think supplements, I don't think any data has supported supplements for reducing risk of prostate cancer. And you talked in the prior episode around but, PSA tests and the numbers and you know, and I think that's been a sounds like a great advancement that they don't necessarily immediately treat. That, that lots of other they don't immediately are, trigger biopsies if right. your PSA is going up. We're much more you can monitor it. We're yeah, we're way more. Um, we've really like made it almost like an intel, uh, like an art of interpreting elevations of PSAs, and we don't just rely on that PSA now. If your PSA is going up, in the old days it was like once it went up over a certain number, everybody got a prostate biopsy now right. we might do a prostate mri we might do some genetic testing there's a whole bunch of different ways of looking at your risk factors before somebody jumps into looking for prostate cancer but by but just getting that psa is a really important step to just deciding do you need to start going down that pathway or can you just not worry about it and starting it at 45 or a if little you have older. a family history right or 50 and then or actually african-americans are at increased risk right. so they should also start at 45 but i was going to say is like even just starting it so that 10 years from now there's a baseline is that's right is a that's right so you can follow it yeah that's right so i really encourage people if they're in the age group to be getting that once a year once a year it's not just one time and then you're done you got to do it every year it's not an expensive test by the way all right. If you did have to pay out of pocket, but you shouldn't have to if you have insurance. Is there an advantage of going to a doctor with long, thin fingers? You've asked this before, yes, GB. Yeah. We're, we're going, we're going backwards, buddy. <laughs> right. You can going go back backwards. to episode one for that one. I think. <laughs> um, so I thank you for that. I'm going to move on to one quick thing, and then we'll wrap it. Um, you two are being very dismissive. <laughs> <this evening. laughs> um, so, uh, but yes. Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, I think that's the best message is to ask for that PSA test. And frankly, just in general, see your doctor once a year. Um, so I have a follow-up for you two. Um, a few episodes ago, I want to say it was episode 15, but it might have been 16. We debated, do you remember this? Ice in the urinal and why why it's done at bars and restaurants. Oh, yes, I do remember I that. I think I remember. And, and uh, we had a difference of opinion. You guys both thought it was for the the cleanliness of the situation. And I said, oh, they're just throwing the ice away. They have nowhere else to put it. Well, it turns well, out... Well, the cleanliness and smell. 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 Yes. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I begrudgingly will admit that you two are far more correct than I was, although there <laughs> there was some evidence of my rationale. Well, what, did you do an experiment? That, I know. I'm, 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 I'm at the edge of my seat. Like, how did you resolve this? Okay, so... Did you actually spend some boy, time you know, internet searching? Boy, these things just weigh heavily on, on Jay. JT's Yeah, mind. JT just, like, I've spends heard, the week <laughs> combing yeah, oh. the internet and reviewing these answers. First of all, I've been meaning to bring this up, and I forgot. Second, this was, like, a two-minute internet search. This was not exactly Sherlock Holmes. Was um, this during office hours at work? Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> so... Anyway, ice, uh, for the most part, was used to trap the smell because it's cold air, and the cold air will bring the air down because cold air sinks. And um, mostly this was predominantly popular when there was no flushing of urinals, and so they found it would automatically drain and, and keep things clean. And uh, so it was, it was a preferred. Also, the urinal cakes that were poisonous and, and uh, messy um, was not was not as, so as easy this, as this. Did, did you happen to research waterless urinals? 
So as they mentioned, as things have gotten greener, they don't do it anymore. Yeah, they don't need it for that reason. Um, there was a couple situations where they said they don't want to throw the ice in a sink or in a toilet because it can clog things up. So that's where my perception was. But m for the most point, most of the research came back and said it was, in fact, to trap the smell. Um, all the way down, in fact, through the old... Was it the same website where you found these the, points? <laughs> the prostate <laughs> cancer awareness. <laughs> that's yes. right. Early signs of ice in the urinal. Um, <laughs> Do you know what always cracks me up about those waterless urinals? There's always that plaque, and it says, like, oh, yeah. this highly sophisticated, revolutionary technological advancement in urinal technology yeah. saves us tens of thousands of gallons of water a year. And I'm thinking to myself, like... It's just like uh, you know what the hell this well, is just it does. like wait a minute it does what's save so it tech now. what's so what's You're so just technologically upset that uh, you didn't invent the urinal yourself the, invent this uh, it basically is just a bowl that the water drains well, out of uh, you the know, pee drains through this is not two men in a urinal I don't but but I will tell you <laughs> two men in a urinal <laughs> but I will tell you that there's what's there's so more, technologically it, advanced it, about it I happen to work for oh. uh, I worked for a client that built a new building and okay. the building was you know, green certified lead. Right. What is that? You know, it's that certification. Lead certified. Yeah. And so, and it was early on in, in that smaller. in California. Yeah. So they had these all installed and they talked about it. They were boasting about it. And it was, it has to do with, uh, and I don't know a lot about this. They were this. boasting about the urinals? Yeah, because it was saving th tens, of tens of thousands of, thousands of gallons, gallons of a year. Water, right. And part of it is the, is the surface area and it draws, it draws the liquid down and without leaving any residue whatsoever. So that's I a big, see. that's a big part of it. And there's something about the, the not suction, but the way it goes down. But one interesting um, gravity. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> it's, a, it's a new concept. <laughs> Water no, no. actually goes down. No, no, it wasn't that. It was you know like like a siphon almost. But um, but the interesting thing that I remember about this is that the plumbers union was very concerned Resistant. about yeah. this. Yes. So and I've noticed That's this funny. like in airports where if you go in for you men out there and you look there there will often be a uh, a capped off water pipe yes. above the urinal. I just assumed that they capped it off because there used to be water going through it. They There's no reason for it to be there. And they could have removed it or not installed it in the first place. But the plumbers union said, no, you have to have this because someday you might want water again. Oh, my God. And so they're able to uh, put this in. This and, code or something? you got to have, have like a water yeah, line right. for and, each and, urinal, even and though it's capped off? Because otherwise, there'd barely oh be that any... That is uh, the world we live in. It's well, just ridiculous. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, it's, unions, unions are, are a good thing, but it, that's taking it that's to a bit of an issue. Too far. So right. anyway, there you go. That's your follow-up visit for, uh, for this evening. So you're welcome. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, guys. All right, folks. Have a good, good week. Yes. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, and, guys. And uh, go, uh, go see your doctors. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience, but if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast. So write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. 
See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.